0: Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. We finished Matthew and Mark. And now we are looking at the book of John. You say, wait, hold up a minute. I thought Luke came next. And it does. You're correct. But because we're going to end up by the end of January going through the, the book of Acts, I want to do Luke and Acts together since the, Dr. Luke wrote both of them. It'll, uh, it'll feel like more like one continuous narrative, okay, uh, from the beginning uh, of Jesus' birth until the end last thing that Paul wrote there in his travels, missionary travels. So we're going to get into the book of John. This is our second week. We are looking at Jesus being more than a man, okay? And in the book of John, we find uh, that... Five mega themes, and those four of those are listed there. With the fifth one being, "What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is is more than a man, or is was he just a a a teacher, a a good man, a healer, uh, like so many of the people uh, living in John's day? See, John wrote this book." at the behest of early church leaders, there was uh, there were already three accounts of Jesus's life, uh, and and John I, I imagine didn't feel a need right away to write, but they kept asking. They said, "Hey, John, would you please, as someone who knew Jesus personally, would you write a fourth account uh, of Jesus's life, specifically aimed at proving that he was a man, that to contradict this heresy that is going around that." It's telling everybody that he was just a a good teacher. He was a healer and and whatnot. And so John agreed, and he he wrote. And we saw last week that he wastes absolutely no time in showing that Jesus was more than a man, that he was a son of God, that his existence did not start with the immaculate conception or his birth in the nativity. It started long before that. In fact, he had no beginning because, as John said in chapter 1, he was, in the beginning, he was with God, and he was, in fact, God. And so this week we're continuing and we're going to look uh, at Jesus being more than a man, that he is the source of eternal life. Now, as I started thinking about uh, eternal life, I thought, you know, what, what popular myths exist in the world regarding eternal life? And perhaps the, the first one that comes to your mind like it did mine is this idea of the fountain of youth, right? Wouldn't it be great if there was a fountain of youth that you could just go and take your... You know, after you drink your Starbucks, you just take the cup and dip it in and drink that. It'd probably make you feel a whole lot better uh, than Starbucks coffee does. Um, But yeah, you know, the Fountain of Youth came from uh, the 16th century. And it was attached to Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon. He was the first governor of Puerto Rico. And according to uh, a combination of New World and Eurasian elements, Ponce de Leon was searching for this Fountain of Youth in what is now... Florida. It was somewhere right around 1513. Now, the legend says that Ponce de Leon uh, would, was going to look because for this, this fountain because if you drank from the fountain, then it would uh, restore your youth, and which would basically allow you to live forever so long as you continue to drink from this fountain, which means you'd have to live right next to it, right, or visit it fairly frequently. And so that was the first thing that came to my mind. But as I got into studying... Uh, world religions, I found that, you know, there's several world religions. I think there's about seven real major ones, but only uh, three, only three even believe in eternal life. Four of them, usually the, it's basically the Eastern religions, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, um, those Eastern religions, they do not even believe in eternal life. um, And so it's not even a possibility for them. Okay. But What's interesting is the, the ones who do believe in, in a form of eternal life are all monotheistic. You have uh, Islam, Judaism, and then Christianity. But Christianity stands out uh, amidst that background because the way that uh, is, uh, Muslims uh, and uh, Jews explain eternal life is very confusing. The process by which someone uh, uh, obtains it is very confusing. It's based entirely on human effort, and worse yet, it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed. Only Christianity uh, stands apart in, in that way, not only from the other two monotheistic religions, but from all of the religions in the world. And so personally, the other world religions do not appeal to me for that reason. I think what bothers me most is that despite all my effort, despite um, you know, following eight steps to enlightenment or denying myself or whatnot, uh, this eternal life is not a guarantee. And I think even more importantly, is that the life that the other world religions give me now is one of scarcity, fear, and oftentimes isolation. So only Christianity offers me this freedom from fear, and it teaches me how to start and maintain good relationships with others. More importantly, only Christianity offers me an abundant life right now and the guarantee of an eternal life later. And so for me, Christianity uh, is very, very appealing. I don't know about you, but... Have you studied other world religions? And, and maybe if yes, is this one of the reasons why you chose to follow Christ rather than Buddha or Muhammad or a, a host of Hindu gods, for instance? Right, the Hindu gods always confuse me. That whole pantheistic uh, thinking is, is extremely confusing. You're never sure, sure who's, the, who's the top dog or what, they, what you should do. <laughs> um, but we do. We live in a world with... Uh, several world religions and even more minor religions. And, you know, one of, the, one of the main questions these, especially the monotheistic religions ask, is what is the source of eternal life and how does a person obtain it? And so today we're going to hear how Jesus answers these questions. And in the process, we're going to see that, that Christianity is truly unique among the world's religion, religions. And as we go, there's kind of a secondary... Uh, a secondary point that Jesus is making and I'll be trying to to make as well see Jesus's words will challenge and even frustrate those who follow him only for temporal reasons only for what they can get out of it when they follow Jesus as a means to an ends and I'm not talking about one of those ends being eternal life more temporal things Jesus' words are going to tend to frustrate those people. So turn with me to John chapter 6. Let's start reading in verse 22. If you need a Bible, just quickly raise a hand and one of our ushers will be glad to bring you one. If you don't have one of your own, just keep it. It's a gift from Cornerstone Church. Uh, Stand with me today. We're just going to read seven or eight verses here. Um, John chapter 6, verses 22 through 29. Verses 22 through 29. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that, Jesus saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So, when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking, say it together, the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For, the, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Thank you so much for reading, me, for reading with me. You can be seated. Now someone... Uh, Someone once said, and I need a preface, not me, okay? Someone once said that eternity is four blondes in four separate cars sitting at a four-way stop, okay? I did not say that. I mean, my life depends on this as a man married to a blonde woman, okay? And so I'm only quoting this, and I can attest to to the fact that being, having been married to a blonde woman who's a pretty aggressive driver, this is not true. Is this true for you, Taylor? No, very not. Brandon, You oh, a little bit, a little bit. You're taking your life into your own hands, sir. Yeah. Well, all kidding aside, eternity as described in Scripture it indicates an unending life. Now, King Solomon, the third king of Israel, he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3.11, he said that God has planted eternity in the human heart. Now, that word translated eternity refers to a continuous existence or an unending future. So when uh, God originally created humanity. We only had one unending future in mathematical terms and i 'm sorry, I forgot my my whiteboard up here today at all intents and purposes of bringing it up here, but in mathematic terms when i 'm teaching a, a math class, you would draw a dot to indicate a, a finite beginning of something, and then you would draw a line with an arrow, a ray we say indicating that this line goes on forever okay, and that is kind of like Adam and Eve. That's kind of like humanity. We we're born, and then from that point on, our, we just move forward in, into eternity. Now, originally, God only had one, one option it was eternal life with Him. But as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, that line, part of it got erased, and by default, it dipped down to eternal life without God. By default, every single person who is born. Comes, has this default eternal destination of eternal life without God. And, in li- and without God, there is no life. What, so we say it's eternal death. Now, we talk about hell, and but few people realize that hell was originally created only for the devil and his angels. Humanity was never in... God never intended for humanity to, to exist there. Okay? It was created for the devil and his angels, but when Adam and Eve sinned, it took us out of God's presence and instantly, by default, put us into that place along with the devil and his angels. Fortunately for us, God offers us a way to rebridge that gap and enjoy eternal life with him. Sharing this message was Jesus' primary purpose for coming. We don't hear it taught or preached that way. It's so simple. And I think at times, pastors, because they, they Maybe they get bored with simple, simple things. Uh, they want to teach and talk about fringy type things that interest them. But people, people don't need that, that fringy stuff as much as they need a solid understanding of just basic essential truth. And so we should not be surprised to see that Jesus mentions eternal life 39 times in the book of John, which is why it's one of John's mega themes. And In this passage alone, right here in John chapter 6, he mentions it nine times which is why I chose to study it. And so this sermon is just a result of my study. So let's look at it in greater detail here. We see, if you read back prior, um, anybody look at the headings? Do you see any headings prior to verse 22? If you're like me in my Bible, it says Jesus feeds 5,000. And then it says Jesus walks on water, right? And the next one where we picked up, it says Jesus, the bread of life. And so this is the day after Jesus has fed more than 5,000 people. This is the morning after he walked on water out uh, to his disciples. He says, don't be uh, terrified, I am here. They let him in the boat and immediately they were on the other side. Okay, so we see two miracles right in a row. He gets there, the crowd then comes to him, the crowd comes to him and, and they're asking him about food okay they, they essentially they want a handout they want him to miraculously provide more food for them why well it's morning and like anybody else they're they're hungry right and so like maybe lord you could turn that into some cinnamon toast crunch or something you know i don't do bread and fish anybody do bread and fish for breakfast not me you know cinnamon toast crunch or something like that would would be good maybe a waffle a waffle that would be good right so they come to him and they're asking him for that. Would you, would you make breakfast for us? In Jesus, he comes to them and he says, listen, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. That's in verse 27. And so in response, Jesus is calling their attention to something more than food, something more than, this, that will, something more than what will fi, uh, fill their physical, their hunger and nourish their physical bodies. He's saying, listen, turn your attention to this spiritual food that I'm offering to you that will, will nourish you not only now today, but into eternity future. And so as they continue to dialogue about food, these people are continuing to be driven by their hunger and they continue to press Jesus to miraculously provide them with some breakfast, but he continues to turn them back to what he's trying to teach them. Look at verse 33 with me. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And in verse 35, Jesus just plainly says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And as he continues, Jesus says that anyone who believes in him as the bread of life will have eternal life. He's essentially saying, listen, what is the source of eternal life? It's, it's me. He's telling them it's me. And so Jesus tells us during the course of this conversation with these, this crowd that the answer to the what is the source of eternal life is to believe in him as the Son of God, as being more than a man. Now, this isn't the only place in John where Jesus teaches this. If we look to one of the, perhaps the most famous scripture in all of the Bible, John 3.16, Jesus says, "...for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who what? believes in him will not perish but have eternal life." John 3.36, Jesus says, "...and anyone who believes in God's Son will have eternal life." John 17, 3, he says, And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And so this isn't the only place that Jesus, Jesus teaches that he is more than a man, that he is the source of eternal life. So unfortunately, some people do not receive eternal life because they struggle to believe that Jesus is more than a man. Why do they struggle? Look at verses 41 and 42. We see this crowd struggling with this today. It says, 41, then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Joseph, we know his father, we know his mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? And so quite frankly, they struggled because they saw Jesus as just a man. Like so many people do today. They're like, he grew up right right near here. We, We know his mom. We know his dad. And so like the Muslims, like the Hindus, like the Buddhists, they believe that, oh yeah, you're a special teacher. You do great things. You even do miracles. But you're not the son of God, let alone the source of eternal life. And so... These people, like so many people today, they confer together and they begin to complain. They begin to complain about what Jesus is saying or what the scriptures are saying. And so knowing what they're doing, Jesus, he basically just tells them, look at 47 and 48 with me. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. He he just basically tells him to stop complaining, and he reiterates the truths that he spoke earlier, just saying anyone who believes has eternal life. And then since these people were pushing for him to provide them with food, he shares with them perhaps the most striking analogy anywhere uh, in his conversations with people. And perhaps some of the most confusing words that Jesus ever spoke. Would you look at verse 51 with me? Look what Jesus says. He says, I am the living bread uh, that came down from heaven. And anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot... Have eternal life within you, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. If that was enough, he just keeps going. Verse 56, it says, Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. And so we find Jesus using a extremely striking analogy. He's trying to prove something and call their attention to something. Now, some critics, they read this and they believe that Jesus was promoting cannibalism, right? And based on Jesus' other teachings and the rest of scriptures, we know that this is absolutely absurd, absolutely absurd. What Jesus was doing here was he was using these words to foreshadow the Last Supper, right? And what it represents in terms of our salvation. When we take communion, we remember this, the way Jesus provided us uh, salvation, we take that little cracker, that, that unleavened piece of bread, we eat that, and the crushing of the bread represents how his body was just broken and bruised for us, for the healing of our relationships, well, not only with God, but with one another and our bodies. We drink that little cup of grape juice, and it symbolizes the blood that he shed, that, that paid the price, the penalty for our sins, and so now when Jesus looks at you or when God looks at you and I, he doesn 't see all of our mistakes; he just sees the blood there 's a lot of old hymns with a lot of really good theology in them, right nothing but the blood, right, and all oh, that cleansing flow that washed me white as snow, right. I can't remember them quite as well, but I grew up singing them. And there's a lot of really good theology in it because it calls our attention back to the source of our salvation and it reminds us that Jesus was more than a man. And so when they, these people heard this, John even calls them disciples. Look at verse 61. Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So a lot of the people in in the crowd were were his disciples. Not necessarily the 12, but just people who were following him. They could not accept these words. They could not accept these words. Why? Because they they didn't really believe that Jesus was more than a man. And so they walked away from their faith. And what's what's so sad about this is that they had... Like they, they literally heard Jesus' teaching. I mean, how many of us would, you know, give a, a left arm or a right arm if we're left-handed, you know, to physically hear and sit and listen to Jesus teach, right? And to be physically in his presence. We long for that. These people had that. They heard him teach. They saw his miracles, and yet they walked away. Salvation in not just salvation, but eternal life was right just like this far away, and they walked away from it because they, they, they really they follow, were following Jesus for more temple reasons. He was a means to an end. He was like IHOP, you know. He was going to provide them with breakfast or something that day. And hopefully lunch and hopefully dinner. And just if they stunk, stuck, stuck around long enough, maybe he would just feed them forever. And Jesus was like, no, that's not what I'm about. But I will give you something that will feed you forever. That will give you an eternal life I think there are a lot of people like this crowd, you know they profess to walk with Jesus, but they don 't really believe and to a certain degree, just being associated with Jesus it makes them feel good about themselves you know he 's kind of this i don 't know how to describe it, but they just they, they just they like the church routine they, you know, they like being around Christian people, it makes them feel good this i 've one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's from D.A. Carson in his book titled Basics for Believers. He beautifully summarizes this attitude and the attitude of these, the crowd that day and these disciples that walked away. Listen to this. He says, I would like to buy about $3 worth of gospel, please. Just $3, not too much. Just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I mean, I don't want so much gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust, especially lust. I like that. I, I certainly don't want so much that I, I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial or contemplate, you know, reaching out to my friends and sharing uh, uh, Jesus Christ with them. I, I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. Don't ask me to change. I, I don't, don't, don't show me those scriptures that call me to transformation. See, I, I want to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people who accept me as I am. But I myself don't want to love those who are different than me, especially if they smell. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. Yes, I would like about $3 of the gospel, please. Just $3. You know, most of the people in the crowd that day, they only wanted $3 of the gospel. And Jesus knew it. He knew exactly where they were coming from, which is why he used such a striking metaphor to separate those people who only wanted a little bit of the gospel from those who would embrace the gospel in its entirety. And so he separated that. And many of them, walked away they walked away complaining not only because of jesus's words but because they he didn't feed them he didn't give in to their their desire for a show do another miracle walk on water you know do these things heal that blind man and then then we'll believe especially if there's food right and so jesus he knows this and he separates the people. And, and so then Jesus turns to those who are closest. Look at verse 67. He turns to those who are closest to him, the 12. And he, he says, verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. I believe Peter's heart captures the, 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 or Peter's words captures the heart of every true believer. They, they just know that, Lord, there, there's nowhere else to go for eternal life. It's, it's only to Jesus. But most of the people in the crowd that day, they couldn't make that confession. And so they walked away, not only from Jesus, but also from eternal life. And the little bit of faith that they did have, it was extinguished. Not because they weren't physically near Jesus, but because they could not see him as being more than a man and so when their temporal reasons for following were no longer met, they just, they walked away. They went to find a new means to that end, a new person who would give them, give them breakfast, give them that, that handout that they desire. And I think in a way, they were kind of like this man uh, I read about who's taking it easy. He was lying on the grass. He was looking up at the clouds. You guys ever do that? Look up at the clouds. You're like, oh, I see an animal. I see a dinosaur. I see all these things, right? And so while he was doing that, he decides to talk to God. He says, God how long is a million years? And God answers back and says, well, from my frame of reference, a million years is like just a minute. And then the man asks, well, the man asks, well uh, God, how much is a million dollars? And God answers, well, to me, it's, it's like a penny. And to which the man says, well, can, can I have a penny? And God says, yeah, in a million years. <laughs> oh, I said that stupid joke wrong. That's funny. You get the idea. God, can I have a penny? Yeah, in a minute is how it's supposed to go. Oh, man. I practiced that like five times, too. You know that. Okay, you get it. A lot of people in the crowd were like that that day. God, can I, can I have a penny? What can I get from God? And, and so when they, their reasons for following God are no longer met, they just they walk away. And so what about you? I have to ask you today. Do you believe that Jesus is more than a man? Do you believe, like Peter, that he has the words that will give eternal life? More importantly, why are you following Jesus? Is it it for more temporal reasons? Is he just a means to an end? Is is it because you, you you want him to miraculously provide something for you? What if he doesn't? Will you walk away? Are you among those who are interested in only about $3 of the gospel? Or are you willing to embrace the gospel in its entirety? Before you answer, let me remind you, there's a lot riding on your responses to those questions, namely whether or not you receive eternal life, right? I mean, Peter acknowledged a very important fact when he said, Lord, to whom would we go? Implying there's no one else to turn to. And so I ask you today, if you don't believe that Jesus is more than a man, that he's the source of eternal life, then where do you intend on finding eternal life? Where do you intend on finding it? Do you intend, like Ponce de Leon, to go looking for a fountain of youth? Do you intend to, uh, like uh, uh, the, the Muslims or the Jews, to just work and work and work and work and hope? Cross your fingers and your toes and hope that you inherit eternal life? I mean, you turn to Eastern religions, they don't even offer eternal life. You just kind of like... Blur into nothingness and, you know, just kind of meld with the universe. You know? So where are you going to find eternal life? Jesus says, look at verse 63. Jesus counteracts especially the thinking of the Muslims and the Jews who follow these eight steps and follow the law, the Torah, and they think that by doing all these things that they might have a chance. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 63, he says, the Spirit alone gives human life. What's the very next words? Human effort accomplishes nothing. Human effort accomplishes nothing. There's nothing that you and I can do to earn eternal life. There's no number of steps. Six steps, seven steps, eight steps, 12 steps. There's no number of steps. In fact, Jesus says, I want you to look back and I want you to forgive me because I've been forgetting this, this reference. But he says... Oh, verse 29. Oh, look at 28. He's, the, the crowd says, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus tells them, this is the only work. This is the only work. There's only one work. Not six, eight, twelve, Nothing of that, okay? Why are they always odd numbers, by the way? Or not odd numbers, even numbers. There's only like six, eight, twelve. No, Jesus says it's only one thing. Only one work that God wants from you. And what? Believe. That's the only work that God expects from you. The only thing that he wants from you is to believe. He doesn't say, go to church every weekend. He doesn't say, make sure you uh, listen to the pastor's podcast. Make sure you give tithes. Make sure you lift your hands really high. Not this high, this high. You know, in worship. He doesn't do any of those rules or any of those things. He just says, believe. Believe in the one who he has sent. And that is the source of eternal life. And so I call you to uh, uh, remember that today. As you go from this place, as you think, or if you share with others, you get in a conversation about world religions and eternal life and whatnot, hopefully these things will come to your, your memory The last thing I want to leave with you is this, and I'll probably mention it every single week. See, in the pursuit of eternal life, perhaps the very most important thing that we can remember is that only Jesus proved that what he was teaching was actually true by resurrecting from the dead, right? No one else even claims to do that, let alone actually do it. And so if you uh, are questioning whether or not the resurrection was a factual, historical uh, incident, an event that is actually uh, documented in history, I, ch- I, I just challenge you, get The Case for Christ. It's probably five, six bucks on, on Amazon. Um, you can find them in bookstores. Read that. It, 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 even if you read a chapter a week, it will... Uh, if you don't believe that Jesus is more than a man, it will, I believe, lead you to that because it's very, very, very hard to deny the actual evidence, uh, the, the case for Christ as it says. And if you're a Christian, it, it will strengthen your faith. And so I, ch- I challenge each of us to take a look at that if you haven't already. The last thing before we pray, uh, I am wanted to give you a heads up. Uh, if I'm gonna be sending out a midweek devotion. I haven't done that for a while. I used to do that every week and then it just... I. Kind of got too many other things on my plate, but I'm going to send send one out this week. And in this mid midweek devotion, it's the, you're going to answer the question: Can someone lose the eternal life that God has promised them? And I know that 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 can be uh, within the various denominations uh, of Christianity. That can be a very very touchy thing. You've got someone on one extreme who believe like uh, you, you can't you can't do anything, like you can profess Christ one day and live like just. You know totally you can't even willingly deny christ it's like a very extreme side and then you've got the other extreme where your salvation is so fragile that if you even like think wrong you have to get born again all over again and so i'm going to address some of these thinking uh this thinking in in this midweek devotion uh if you're not you get that you got to sign up for the cornerstone weekly if you haven't already and how do you do that they're on your bottom of your bulletin there's a connect card fill in your email address and your name and check that you want to be on that Cornerstone Weekly. Put it in the little Connect card box right on the lobby desk. Taylor will add you, okay? She's our communications director. She does a fabulous job. And then you can get this midweek devotion as well as any other that I send out in the future. So stand with me this morning. Let's close in prayer. Guys, I am killing it. It is 10 after 11. I feel good about myself today. All right. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth, God. So much of it hinges on on, uh, of our faith hinges on whether we believe that the the Bible is actually the inspired word of God, and and we stand here today, we believe that, and we receive that word. Lord, the teaching that Jesus is more than a man. And so, Lord, I just pray for those who maybe are, are working towards that, they're seeking. I pray that you would just speak to their hearts, God. I pray that you would make yourself real to them and show them uh, just in the the, the way that you, you know how to do, God. Show them that Jesus is more than a man. May they believe, strengthen their faith, God, help us as we talk with coworkers and friends and people around us, Lord, who want to question the, uh, the scriptures or, or take away certain parts that they don't agree with and, uh, or, or tell us that Jesus was just a good teacher. God, give us the, the wisdom, the tactfulness, the, the spirit to, to be able to, to correct that, that line of thinking uh, as we get the opportunity to do so, Lord. So I pray a special blessing over this congregation. I know, Lord, God, from, from just talking with people, from survey results, and just uh, hearing their hearts, God, that growth is very much on each one of our minds. We pray for spiritual growth, God. We pray, draw each one of us closer to you this week. We pray, Lord, continue to increase this church numerically, continue to increase uh, the, uh, the finances, continue to increase the ways we're able to impact our community, God. Use Cornerstone Church to build your kingdom and partner, God. We praise you, we thank you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a tremendous week. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that his truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God each other and to our world